Hi, everybody. <laughs> um, well, grateful to be here this morning, grateful that you're here, and I'm also grateful that um, a rare occurrence, I have both of my brothers here in Chicago with us this weekend for a few days, and they're seated right back there, Art and Gary. Uh, I happen to be the oldest, uh, but I'm not that much older, okay, than they are, so... But it's, it's really nice to have them here, and man, we've had some great time just uh, talking over the old times, laughing, and, and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, but uh, yes, we're going to jump into the scripture this morning, and, and as you know, uh, this month we are discussing five of the major conversations that are taking place in our culture right now. Uh, last week, we talked about poverty. Uh, next week... We're going to talk about the place of women. What does Jesus say about the place of women in society and their rights? On the 29th, we're going to be addressing the topic of racism. And then on August 5th, we're going to be addressing the heavy issue of sexual abuse. Uh, This morning, uh, let me say it this way. Uh, You know, Pastor Jim, uh, you might be thinking, "Those those are a little bit too heavy to be dealing with on a Sunday morning. We come here to be encouraged. That's too heavy, but I would just want to remind us that Jesus, if there was anyone ever engaged in the conversations that were going on in his time, it was Jesus. He was engaged, and in the 21st century, we are his church. We are his voice, and Jesus still wants to engage the questions and issues of our culture through his church, through us. It's our calling. It's our responsibility, so that's why we are talking about these heavy, heavy issues. Now this morning, we're gonna talk about probably the most controversial of all of them. We're gonna talk about sexual identity. What does Jesus have to say about that? You know, the first important part of a conversation is always listening to what the other person or persons are saying. And that does three things, one, It shows that we're really listening to them. We're really concerned for them. It also shows that we value them. We value them deeply. And then thirdly, we can only accurately respond to a person if we have first accurately listened to that person. And without listening, all we end up with is a shouting match. And I would say... There's quite a shouting match going on in our culture right now around all of these issues. It's not a conversation. But as the people of Jesus, we are called to a conversation of grace and truth in that order. If we present truth, we can be as true as true can be. We can be quoting this book, all we want to quote it, and shouting it to the culture. But if that word is not being shared with a gracious heart, the grace of Jesus, then all we're doing is adding to the shouting match. It is the, it's truth packaged in grace. That's the way of Jesus. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning as we address this topic. So I want us to begin this morning by listening very carefully to a woman named Vicki Beeching. Vicki grew up in church. She went on to become a very well-known Christian artist, songwriter, singer, 
especially in England, but also here in the United States, and we've probably sung some of her worship songs. I want us to listen closely as Vicki shares her story with us because Vicki has become a voice for our gay family members, our friends, and our neighbors. And after we've listened to Vicki carefully, then I'm going to come back and respond to what Vicki has to say. So would you listen very carefully to this video? Service where they were rallying their congregation, uh, prepping them for the vote, and a very 
fractured inside, feeling like I had to choose between my faith and ministry, the career and the community I was in, and who I was inside. And it began to take such a toll on me that I began to feel incredibly ill. I ended up going to a doctor in San Diego and saying, hey, I need people that test on me. I don't think everything's okay. I wasn't prepared for the answer that I got back when we finished all the tests. The doctor sat me down and said, I have some really bad news for you. He said, you've, you've contracted a really nasty autoimmune condition. You've pushed your body so much that um, this is actually really, really serious. And he said, to my great surprise, that the treatment I need is chemotherapy. The autoimmune condition I had related to quite nebulous causes that aren't in known physical causes, but having talked with a number of specialists, the number one thing they keep coming back to saying is, I bet you can name a really, really traumatic, stressful issue that's going on inside you or that you've been through. And they just said, I bet something comes to mind, doesn't it? And I said, yes, it does. They said, well, that's most likely to be the reason why your body's crying out for help. I decided I didn't want to have chemotherapy in America because I was far from home and felt like that. Conservative Bible Belt culture was actually a major part of the contributing factors of why I was ill. So I decided to come back to the UK and I started the treatment. I really hope that my story somehow and all the countless other stories of LGBT Christians who are speaking out at the moment can um, really um, unify into this one cry that says to young people, you don't have to choose between your faith and your sexuality. If you're not alone, things will get better and God loves you. Uh, there are a few things I want to share in response to Vicki's story. And first is this. Uh, to hear what Vicki went through for so many years struggling with her same-sex attraction helps us understand that the gay or what we call the same-sex issue is not just an issue. It's about human beings. It's about real people, just like Vicki. And too often, churches and Christians have lost sight of this. And there are some churches, there are many churches that have just become pretty ugly and pretty downright uh, antagonistic. And, uh, and I believe, oh, the gay community, a, 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 an apology for not having the spirit and the grace of Christ toward them. Secondly, Listening to Vicki, it makes it very clear that Vicki did not choose her same-sex attraction. She discovered it when she was 13, or actually before that. And when she was 13, she soaked the carpet in her room with her tears and filled her journals with prayers, crying out to the Lord, change me, take these same-sex feelings Take them away from me. And she's typical of all of those, all people who have a same-sex attraction, or for that matter, a bisexual or a transge transgender desires. These are something not asked for. They are something discovered. Now, our gay family members, friends, our neighbors, so they didn't choose those, these attractions. They discovered them in themselves. Now, I'm going to come back and talk a few minutes from now 
about the origins of those tr attractions and all of our attractions, uh, whether they are nature or nurture, or nature and nurture, genetic or environmental. We'll come back and talk about that in just a minute. But the third thing, it's easy to see how Vicki and tens of thousands of others, after years of not being able to free themselves from same-sex desires, and after years of having to live in secret shame, finally come to the decision like Vicki did to, and she used the word reconcile, their sexual attraction by coming to believe that this is the way God created them and to accept it as their sexual identity. In fact, to accept it as their core identity and to, then to step boldly out of their secret shame and demand acceptance by the society for who they are, just as every other person is accepted. And you know, they are acting upon the human value which says that no one should ever be forced to live a secret life alienated from who they really are. And you know the strange thing is? That happens to be something that we Christians believe deeply as well. We believe that God's desire for every person is that they be whole and complete on the inside, that there is no fracture or split between who a person feels on the inside and with who they have to project themselves on the outside to be. God wants to unite and make whole people. So when I first listened to Vicki's story about three years ago, uh, I was really moved by her story, and especially the part I could just picture in my mind when she was 13 years old, in her room, having this tearful, carpet-drowning, passionate prayer with God. Change me. Take this away from me. If we have the heart of Jesus, then we're going to sorrow for Vicki, that she had to live all those years in shame, never able to tell anybody about her secret. And we can also totally understand her longing to reconcile who she was inside with her identity pre being projected on the outside to be a whole and complete person. Now, here's, we come to the fourth point. I want to use Vicki's own word, reconcile. That's an important word. And she used it several times in, that in what she just shared with us because it really expressed what her deepest desire, her deepest longing was to be reconciled on the inside. Now, the word reconcile means to unite what is split or torn apart by conflicting desires. Usually, we talk about reconciliation when it's the con conflicting desires between two people that are having a rough time together, maybe in an argument or just not have a broken relationship. That's usually what we, when we talk about reconciliation. And that kind of reconciliation is really hard to bring about. But the kind of reconciliation Vicky's referring to is even more difficult to bring about because it's when a person is dealing with conflicting desires inside themselves. One part doesn't agree with the other part. One part hates the other part. That's a miserable way to live. So, reconciliation 
is really, really important. It means putting all the parts of who you are back into harmony so that you really can be the person God created you to be. You don't have to be a false self, a pseudo-self presenting a fake image of yourself. That isn't, no, we don't have to live that way. So it's at this point that all of us, whether we are heterosexual or homosexual, and the entire LGBTQ community, we have one thing in common here, that we want to be reconciled inside and outside, and we want to find our true self, who we really are. Now, I find it amazing that uh, the major word that God chose to use when it comes to uh, salvation is the word reconcile. First uh, Corinthians chapter five, Second Corinthians chapter five, nineteen says this: God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ through Christ. So. What we have here, we have two ways of reconciliation to look at. We have the path that Vicki took, her way of reconciliation, and we have the reconciliation way of Jesus Christ. And let's take a look at the two of them. Let's compare the two of those for a few minutes. Now, Vicki's way of reconciliation is based upon the depth of the same-sex attraction that she discovered inside of herself. It was so deep embedded inside of herself that she came to the conclusion eventually this has to be the way God made me it's, it's just it's it's woven throughout who I am I was born gay and if I'm going to be true to myself then I can't keep that a secret anymore and then Vicki closed her story by saying especially something directed to young people she said this you don't have to choose between your sexuality and your faith. God loves you exactly who you are. What she's saying is this. You can follow Jesus, and you can also live out the gay lifestyle. That's what Vicki is saying. That's her way of reconciliation. Now, I want you to stay with me here, okay? Stay with me. Uh, because with great care, and, and with great compassion for Vicky and everyone else who deals with same-sex attraction, I want us to take a few minutes to take a look at what Jesus has to say about reconciliation. First, Jesus teaches us something extremely important about the desires, the attractions, the orientations that we find inside of ourselves. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verses 14 to 23, the context of that passage is Jesus had just gotten called on the carpet, he and his disciples, because the disciples were eating a meal and they hadn't washed their hands. And the religious leaders in that day, they were obsessive compulsive when it came to washing your hands. Well, once in a, Jesus believed in washing your hands, but I mean, well, they were, maybe they were snacking, you know, they just... You know, so anyway, I don't know what was going on, but the religious leaders really got on their case about, you didn't wash your hands, you broke one of God's laws. That's, they were hung up on that kind of minute stuff. Anyway, then verse 14, it says, Jesus took this as an opportunity to engage in a conversation with the culture. That's what he did. 
Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. And then he says this, all of you listen, he said, and try to understand. So he's getting ready to talk about something that they're really going to have to listen closely to if they're really going to understand it. And that's what I'm asking all of us to do. Here's what he says. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. I'll define that word in a moment. Now, it is true that what we put into our bodies can make us sick. What we eat can make us sick. If you live on a, a, a White Castle sliders, you probably won't be that healthy. You're going to get a little sick. But that's not what the word means. Jesus is talking about something deeper than that. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your hearts, what comes out of your hearts. So that word defile, it's a laundry term. It was a term that referred to clothes when they get dirty and stained, they need to be washed. I've heard that uh, there's plans, some of you are gonna be in a mutter race in a few days and you're gonna get, you're gonna need some detergent after that's all over, okay? You're gonna need to go to the laundry. Uh, that's what this word defile means. It just means unclean, clean, needs to be washed, laundered. Uh, then Jesus continues in verse 17. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples, the 12 of them, asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. And he says, don't you understand either, he asked? Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart. It only passes through the stomach, and then I think Jesus says it straight, and then it goes into the sewer, okay? By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. So when you watch the Food Channel and you see Guy Ferrari in uh, diners, drive-ins, and dives, and all that food, it's okay to eat that in moderation, all right? All food is okay. It's not what defiles us. Then he added, and we get to the heart of it in verse number 20. Answers the question, what is it then that makes our hearts unclean? This is what he says. It is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, Greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. And Jesus could have went on with that list. We know. All these vile things come from within, from within the heart. And they are what defile you. So, we have the question here. How did our hearts and our desires. How did they become unclean? How did they get into such a, a mess? Well, it goes back to the very beginning of the scripture. When God created Adam and Eve, when he created humanity, he put into humanity's hearts all kinds of pure passions and desires and longings and orientations. He gave us our five senses, and they were alive, seeking pleasure, beauty, fun, discovery, sexuality, all of these things. But then came what the scripture calls the fall. And what the fall is, is when Adam and Eve decided to divorce God. 
to walk away from God, to break their relationship with him and do their own thing. And so what happened when that took place was God exited human nature. Human nature was left on its own apart from God's influences and God's presence, and that's what the fall is. Human passions, all those human passions that God placed inside that were beautiful and good and lined up with his passions, all of those attractions, all those orientations, they became twisted and distorted and disconnected from God. So the fall away from God affected us at every level of our being, spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, relationally, physically, and yes, sexually, down to our DNA. Our God-given desires have been distorted. Our passion wires have gotten crossed. And so we are born into this world with a heart filled with many attractions that are oriented away from God's design, away from God himself. So what happens is we begin to interpret ourselves and our world through our distorted attractions. And those attractions can be very strong. They can be like a surging sea wave inside. Those attractions, they're powerful. This is why we can't reconcile the conflicting, deep, surging desires and attractions we find in ourselves by basing our identity upon any one of them. Now, let me come back. I said a moment ago, so are these, are these attractions inside of us? Are they, um, does, does, is, it a, is it a nature issue, something we're born with, or is it a nurture issue? It's both. It's both. Because we're born into this world with a fallen nature. So we can't come into the world with desires. That's what Jesus is saying here. We come into the world with some desires that are already going haywire, going the wrong direction. They can be strong. But like I was saying, this is why we can't reconcile the conflicting, deep, surging desires and attractions that we find inside of ourselves by declaring them to be our identity. Freeing our fallen attractions will never lead us to our true self. In fact, Jesus says, it will lead us further and further away from ever discovering our true self into becoming more and more fragmented, split up, and, and lost. And then I want to point out that Jesus doesn't single out one fallen attraction in that list we just read as worse than any others on the list. And neither must we. we you know what? Whether we are heterosexual or homosexual, or struggling with transgender issues, whoever we are, we're in the same boat. Without Jesus, we're in a boat that is sinking because we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And all of us, I guarantee, have struggles and vulnerabilities and, and deep passions inside that, run, that want to take us outside of God's boundaries to live there and to declare our identity outside of the boundaries God created. All of us have those kinds of passions. For some, it just happens to be homosexuality. So what is Jesus' way of reconciliation? I love this passage of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. For God was in Christ, 
reconciling the world to himself. For God was in Christ, putting torn apart people back together again through Christ, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he has given us, the church, this wonderful message of reconciliation to take this message to every corner, every dark corner, struggling corner of this planet, to every Vicky beaching on this earth. Our mission is to take this message of reconciliation, that there's hope to find who we are by coming to Jesus Christ. And then it says, for, Christ, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be forgiven and so that we could be made right. What's wrong inside? What's, what's upside down inside of us? By coming to Christ can be set right through Christ. So Jesus took all of our fallen and twisted, broken desires and all the sins committed by acting upon them. He took all of that upon himself. He took them all to the cross. He took the blame for all of them in our place, putting those things to death so that we can come to him in faith and be restored to a relationship with him in which he shares with us on the inside. He shares his own nature with us, giving us the power to break free of all of those passions of the old nature. Now, I hope you heard what I said right there. When we receive Christ and we come to him in faith, he enters our life. He, he brings his own nature inside of us so that we can be connected and plugged into him. And there is the power that we have to break free of all those orientations and passions of the old nature that we so mistakenly thought that's where I'll find my identity. We only find our identity in the newness that Christ brings our way. So Jesus' way of reconciliation is to discover our true self by basing our identity upon Jesus. Jesus is our identity. He is the attraction of our life. Now, you may be asking this question, does God's word say specifically that same-sex attraction is on the list of fallen attractions. Yes, it does. It says it more than once. One place is in Paul's Timothy, uh, letter to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, here's what Paul says. He says, the law is for people who are sexually immoral, who practice homosexuality, are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, who do anything that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. But here's the thing to remember. It's not a sin to have an attraction. We can't help that. <laughs> we can't help it if we have attractions. It's not a sin to have a temptation. We can't help that. Th those things are there. We all have vulnerabilities. But it's what we do. And you notice what Paul said right here. The law is for people who are sexually immoral, uh, or who practice, what Paul is saying, that it's when we let go of the practice of sin, when we learn to overcome those attractions and temptations. And I'll talk more about that in just a minute. Now, you might, uh, you might also be saying, Pastor Jim, you're putting an awful lot of weight on the scriptures. Uh, on, uh, uh, you're putting an awful lot of weight on that for the authority to address this topic. 
And there may be some here who do not see the Bible that way. Maybe you think you just aren't convinced that the Bible is anything more than an old religious book, and it's not really God's word. Well, so that your question to me would be, well, how can you know? How, how, where do you, what do you base your confidence in the scripture to speak to this issue? Well, uh, I base my confidence one place. Uh, Jesus viewed the scripture as the word of God. And I think Jesus has all the credibility, the most credible person who ever walked this earth. I take his word that this is God's word revealed to us to give us direction for our lives, the boundaries with which we are to live our lives. And you also may be thinking this morning, well, Vicki uh, Vicky was you know, a Christian. And from a young girl, she served Jesus and she worshiped and she prayed again and again that her same-sex attraction would go away. So if she had a relationship with Jesus, why didn't this same-sex attraction just go away? Why didn't he heal her of that? Why, wasn't, why didn't it leave? We can expand that question to this question. Why do all Christ followers still struggle with fallen desires and attractions that rise up in us all the time? The Apostle Paul, he explains it in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. This is what he says. So I say to followers of Jesus, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. See, even though we receive Christ and he comes into our lives bringing his nature and his strength, our old nature, it's still there. It's still present inside of us. Paul goes on to say, The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. So, there is a a war that goes on inside the life of every Christian between the old ways of life, rooted in the old nature, but... Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit, if we learn to rely upon him, can give us a greater strength to deal with all those other orientations and desires, no matter what they are. So, we need to come to realize that the restoring of our lives is a lifelong process that God is committed to. Paul said this to the Christians in Philippi. He said, I'm certain that, what God, that God who began a good work in you will continue his work until the day he comes again. That means that we're going to have this battle, this struggle, all during, all during this lifetime. But we learn to find our strength to overcome in Christ. Now, uh, Jesus made this statement. Whoever wants to be my disciple must de- den- deny themselves and follow me. What does it mean to deny ourselves? It's just exactly what we've been talking about. When we look, when we are consider, when we come to the decision point of whether I'm going to serve Christ or serve myself, the thing all of us face is, can I fully surrender everything in my life to him? All my, all my temptations, all, all my attractions, all my orientations. Can I come to Jesus with all of them and just give them to him? That's what it means when Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he has to come and surrender 
the whole heart and everything in it. And when we do that, what happens? Christ comes into our life. He becomes the, the key, he becomes the main attraction. He becomes, he, and, that, and, it's, and we love him greater than we love anything we've ever loved before. And it's in the strength of his love and our, our connection to him that we can overcome any of the struggles in our lives, including an orientation to live sexually outside of God's boundaries. He, he goes on to say, for whoever wants to save their life, to save their life on their own, try to find your identity on your own, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses their life, whoever gives up the search in trying to find out who you are on your own, well, if that person will give it up, then they're going to save their life. They're going to discover who they really are. And then this brings us to a, a really important point. A couple of important points, and I'm going to wrap this up. We need each other in overcoming the vulnerabilities of our brokenness. And Vicki didn't find any of the churches she was part of. She didn't find that in any of those churches. She did not find fellow Christians that she could open up her heart to and share her struggle with without fear of being judged and condemned. And so those doors were shut to her. But Jesus died to create a church, a church community, where anyone, no matter what their struggle, no matter what their secret, can find a safe and accepting and caring place to find salvation, healing, and reconciliation. Jesus never singled out one struggle as worse than another struggle. The door of Christ's Christ arms, like we sung a few moments ago, are open wide to every human being, regardless of the struggle. And he calls the church's arms to be open just as wide as his. And so the question I have for us, are we a church that will, keep, that will do that? Are you a Christ follower who has his heart for people, no matter what the struggle might be? And then there's another very important question here. All of us in this room are fallen with particular struggles in our lives, particular attractions. And Jesus calls us all to come to him. Uh, many of you, most of you probably in this room have done just that. But if you're here in this room today and you have not yet come to Christ with whatever is going on inside of your life, you can come to him. And the kind of relationship with him that I've been describing here a few moments ago, that will give, when, when he comes in, he will give you a new, he will connect you to the nature of God that was divorced, that, that our parents, our first parents divorced us from. You, we can have that back. And, and then he can come and begin to renew in us those original passions and desires and give us the strength to live free of those things. Uh, whatever they might happen to be. And your identity becomes, is not wrapped around some passion you find inside yourself, but as a Christian, your identity is wrapped around Jesus. He is the core. And he brings our lives into alignment with himself. And that's where we find the unity of whatever split apart inside of ourselves. We find it only in Jesus Christ. 
In a moment, I want to pray for anyone here who desires or is this morning taking that step. And you can take that where you're seated. You can come to faith in Christ right where you're seated today if you've never done that before. Or if you're here this morning and you're having, you're having a, a struggle with identity or you're perhaps even having a struggle with, with uh, your sexual identity. I just want to say this morning that the Lord totally understands that and he cares about you. And, and, and coming to him, he will... He will give you strength to follow his path. I want to mention, too, that if you have any questions that you want to ask me, you're more than free. I would welcome your questions. Uh, And I put my email, I think it should be on the screen there. Yeah, my email. You feel free to email me, and I will get back to you. There's also some other resources that you can take a look at, because I know how important this issue is. There's a couple websites there. And then on YouTube, maybe that's the most accessible to everybody. If you go to YouTube and punch in Rosario Butterfield, Rosario is a a same-sex attracted woman who has come to Christ and is now living her life denying, not practicing her same-sex attraction for the sake of Christ because Christ is her greater love and Christ is giving her strength. The same about Wesley Hill. Wesley Hill is a professor. He used to be at Wheaton College. I'm not sure if he's still there. But the same thing about Wesley Hill. He's a man who is a follower of Jesus who has been very open about, hey, I'm a man with same-sex attraction. But I have chosen because of my commitment to Jesus and my greater love for him. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to practice that. I'm, I'm, I'm surrendering that. I'm, I'm laying that aside so that I can follow Christ and live within, within his boundaries. Now, is that hard to do? Is that a big sacrifice? Sure it is. It's tough. But when Jesus said, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, that's what he's talking about. Because you'll find a greater identity in him. So, Take a look at these things, and a very, a very sensitive topic, but it's one that Jesus has come. Let me, let me wrap it up this way. We can go about seeking to reconcile who we are with ourselves. We can go about that on our own, trying to wrap our identity around something we find in ourselves, a strong passion, or we can come to Christ and wrap our, wrap our identity around him and find his strength to live out, live out uh, a life consistent with his divine nature and the passions he originally created us to live with. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your grace and your word this morning. Lord, we want to, uh, we want to listen carefully to you as well as listen carefully to each other. Father, uh, and, and Lord, you speak about these issues that are so deep and dividing, Lord, and so painful. And Father, we're thankful that you've given us message and you've also given us Christ so that his power, his nature within us can help us rise up to live a life loving him and then becoming an instrument of his love to others that are struggling with the same thing or other things. Father, I pray for any person here in this room today that is facing this struggle. Lord, I pray that your spirit can 
Lead them and guide them, Lord, as they seek reconciliation. And and may they seek that reconciliation, that uniting of conflicting desires. May they seek that through Jesus Christ. Lord, I, I just ask that you would surround that person or those persons with your loving care and grace. And, and Lord, may we as a church continue to be committed, Lord Jesus, to speaking into our culture and not withholding the truth from our culture, which would be a very uncaring thing to do. Help us to speak the truth, but Lord, may we do it not by, in, by joining the shouting match. May we do it with grace, just like you did. And Lord, we give you praise, we give you thanks, we pray these things in Jesus' precious name, amen.